I'm a little concerned right now about your salvation and stuff. How come you have not been baptized? Because I never got around to it, okay? I don't know why you always have to be judging me. Because I only believe in science. But tonight, we are going up against Satan's caveman. And I just thought it would be a good idea if you... Felicidades. Welcome. Uh, you have my word that no pastor from Hope will sneak up behind you with a bucket of water and slam dunk baptize you. Uh, but you also have this invitation. Um, unapologetically issued to every single one of you at the end of the service, whatever campus or local site or wherever you might be, uh, to come forward and, and to be baptized or to renew that baptism. Uh, I'm, I'm just, holy things are happening again at Hope this weekend, and I'm just in awe. I'm not sure when the early service ended and this service started. I don't think there was a break. If that makes you nervous, like how long is the sermon? That's not the issue. We just have had hundreds and hundreds of people come forward to be baptized um, last night in the early service this morning. And so, you know, if that's you at this service, wherever you are, uh, we've got water. And if you've got faith, I'm going to point to you where the Bible says that's all it takes. But to get there, I, I want to I walk you through. We're, we're reading through the whole Holy Bible in a year. Here is a church in this first week of 2023, we read Matthew 1 to 7. It'll be chapters 8 to 14 this week. It's going to get even better. Uh, we read the first half of Genesis, the first 25 chapters. We'll read the back half of Genesis this week if you're doing the whole, whole Bible, whole Holy Bible track. Um, and that's just going to keep getting better too. Uh, I'm excited about what God is doing. I'm excited about thousands of people reading the same passages from our church family every day. The devotions we have, the, the study guides for your, for your hope groups. Uh, the podcasts, the messages, the, the Bible studies, the classes. Let this be the year. Let this be the year where your faith is grounded in something deeper than the traditions maybe that you grew up with or, or, or the agnosticism that you've developed or whatever it might be. Let, let God speak. He's got something to say to you through his living written word. And I hope you'll listen. I, I hope you'll open your heart and mind and soul and, and receive it. As at the heart of our New Testament reading this last week from Matthew 1 to 7 is the story of Jesus' baptism. Hundreds of millions of Christians all over the world are celebrating baptism of our Lord, baptism of Jesus Sunday, including us here in this church. Uh, and it's the story about how John the Baptist comes to the wilderness. It says in verse 1 of Matthew 3, to the Judean wilderness, and he began preaching. And it's what he was preaching that was most fascinating. And maybe as you did your reading, this kind of caused you to pause and scripture will do that, as I said last week. Sometimes it'll give you great comfort in the midst of affliction. Sometimes it'll give you some really healthy affliction in the, in the face of getting too comfortable spiritually. John the Baptist was holding nothing back. He just put it all right out there. He said, repent. 
which means change the way you think, turn to God, heaven is near. Then he looks at the church leaders or the religious leaders of his day, the temple priests, the Pharisees, and he says, you brood of snakes, your ancestry, just because you're descendants of Abraham and Sarah, a story we're starting to read about in Genesis, just because you have that connection to them, you have this religious heritage, I'm telling you, your ancestry means nothing. Judgment is coming, John says. The axe of God's judgment is poised. He will separate the shaft from the wheat, burning the chaff with a never-ending fire. Fire and brimstone, baby. I mean, John is just putting it out there. And if you've been around hope and you've been paying careful attention, over the last two or three years, I've been preaching a lot more about this kind of thing too. Our world's really seriously messed up. I don't know if you've noticed. We've wandered into darkness. We're wandering in the wilderness. And I'm not saying this is a brand new thing. It's not like everything was perfect 10 or 20 years ago. Far from it. But we have drifted. And we are chasing the wind and seeking after things that can't satisfy our souls. And so it's time to change the way we think. I'm not saying it's necessarily you. I'm not talking about you. I'm just talking about who I'm talking about. If that's you, then receive it. Repent. I say that with love. Before I get up here to preach every week, I say, Lord, I pray. I say, Lord, you know how much I love these people. And I do. I love you. Give me your word to speak to them. And sometimes that word is like a good and loving parent. Our Heavenly Father says to us through his word, I'm just the mouthpiece. It's not my word. I'm just the instrument that, that God plays here in this church like millions of other pastors are in the churches where they preach. I'm like John the Baptist. I'm not the Savior. I'm not the Messiah. I don't want to point you to me. I can't do that for you. But I'll point you to the one who is. John the Baptist, me, any other preacher, at best, we're Ed McMahon for Johnny Carson. We're the warm-up act, right, if you're old enough to know who those people are. We're, we're, we're the opening act band before the big name, you know, before Taylor Swift comes out. She has an opener. That's at best what we are. We aren't the reason you're here, I hope. Jesus is the reason we're here. And I want to point you to this story because it ultimately points you in a deep way to Jesus. But John's word needed to be said because Jesus is coming. The Son of God. God in human form is showing up in the world and everybody was bound to miss it. That's why God sent the warm-up act. Turn around. Change the way you think. Turn to God. Judgment is coming. You're living for the wrong things. You've forgotten about eternal things. You've forgotten about the new life God can give you right now. God is going to show up in human form and you're going to miss it because you're going to be looking at the world. Turn around. Turn to God so you don't miss it. Most fascinating is a huge crowd showed up. People from all over the Jordan Valley went out to see and hear John because there's something about the truth that we know that that truth is what we need. That there's a whole world that will want to tell you things you want to hear. The Bible even talks about that. There's a time when people want to hear what their itching ears, it says, wants to hear. But we need the truth. We need God's word. We don't need watered down stuff. We don't need warm, fuzzy, soft and furry stuff. We need the truth. Sometimes it's warm and fuzzy and soft and furry and it's great. But sometimes it's like, God, you know, the way you're going, it's the wrong way. Turn around. So John is baptizing people, this baptism of repentance in the Jordan River, and that next screen, and as he's baptizing them, the big surprise, Jesus shows up. John is, is preaching this, this hard message, this truthful message, this loving message, because he loves the people enough to tell them the truth. The way you're going is wrong. Turn around, repent, change the way you think. 
Then Jesus shows up and says, I want to be baptized. I want to receive this baptism of repentance in the water, John. Maybe that surprised you if you're reading along because you think, isn't Jesus and you're right? Isn't he morally perfect? Isn't he righteous? Isn't he the only one who's without sin? And he is. And so like John said, John tried to talk him out of it. I shouldn't be baptizing you. I'm the one who needs to be baptized by you. I need, I'm, a, I'm a fallen, sinful human being. You're the only one who never does that. You're the only perfect one. You're the unblemished sacrifice, the Lamb of God, which is exactly what Jesus needs to be to take away the sins of the world. The Bible will say later, to explain this, why does Jesus come to get baptized by John? Because the Bible says the one, Jesus, who knew no sin, the only one who knew no sin, became sin for us. He took on our blemishes, our sin, our messes, our darkness, our evil, our mistakes, our burdens. He takes it all, our death, our suffering. And in order to do that, Jesus has to experience everything that we experience. I know we talk about the divinity of Jesus a lot, that he's God in the flesh, and that's true. But let's remember he's also human. He laughed, he cried, he ate, he drank, he lived, he slept, he, he woke up in the morning. He, 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 he had the same kinds of uh, things that any human being has to face on a daily basis. Even though he's God, Philippians 2 says, even though he was equal with God, he does, not, he, he does not, the Bible says, he did not, the Bible says, count equality with God as something to be grasped. But instead, he humbled himself. He took a knee. And he became sin for us who knew no sin. He humbled himself, Philippians 2 goes on to say, even to the point of death on a cross. Jesus didn't need to die, but he died. Jesus didn't need to take on our sin, but he took on our sin. Jesus didn't need to be baptized, but he was baptized in the River Jordan because he showed up so that we could bond and connect to him. So that we don't have a relationship with a God who hasn't been through what we've been through. He's been through it all and then some. So he comes and he says, I must be baptized by you. It's to fulfill what my heavenly father has sent me to do. We must do this. And then when he's baptized, man, that's when the miracles start breaking out. The heavens open up, the Bible says, as Jesus comes up out of the water. The heavens are open. Heaven is open. Heaven is open now. It was closed. Now it's open. It's closed to sinners. There are two ways to get into heaven. Just ask yourself inside your heart of hearts and in your mind, which one you put more hope in? Option one, be perfect. Never sin. Never do anything that's outside the boundaries of God's will by action, word, thought, or deed. See what I mean? <laughs> Heaven is closed. Option number two, believe in Jesus Christ, which knits you and bonds you together to his life, death, and resurrection. By God's amazing grace, he gives us what we haven't earned and don't deserve. So when Jesus is getting baptized at the beginning of his ministry, which is going to save the world for all generations and all nations and all races and all times, as he comes up out of the water, everyone say, out of the water. You're going to want to remember that. Out of the water. As he comes up out of the water, the heaven, heavens are opened up. Heaven which was closed is now open. The Spirit of God is descending like a dove. And a voice from heaven says, this is my dearly loved Son who brings me great joy. Up out of the water. So how is water used in the Bible? Well, let's take a look. It shows up in the first three verses of Scripture. 
In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Next verse, the earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep waters. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters, but they're chaotic waters. You know, water's an element, the element that God chooses to meet us in the waters of baptism. Water is a life-giving element. And as positive thinking, optimistic people, that's where we want to leave it. But there's also the flip side of that water coin, which is it also drowns. It also destroys. It floods. It takes life away. So water goes both ways. It gives life and it takes life. And the Bible shows us that right from the beginning. The Hebrew word here for waters is chaotic waters. Waters with no form. Waters with no boundaries. Waters that don't have any life-giving principles at this point because they're flooding, they're destroying, they're taking life away. And out of that chaos, God creates life. A new beginning. Through the waters, God establishes this pattern. See if you can't catch it right from the very beginning of creation. Through the waters, he takes that which is chaos and death and brings life. He orders the water. He says, hey, water boundaries, water banks for the rivers. Water is now life-giving, so there'll be land which can produce uh, an environment for human life to exist. In a way only God can in the delicate balance of creation that human beings have tried to emulate but can never duplicate. Remember biosphere and that whole experiment and how the thing just completely crashed? God got it right right from the beginning. The perfect balance so that you can live and breathe and eat and be. And then he separates the water too, the Bible goes on to say here in Genesis 1, so that the water has this, this beautiful kind of cycle to it. it, it it's up in the clouds and, and, then it, and then it comes down as rain, which produces a harvest. And I know that's not the perfectly like earth science way to describe it, but I, I'm just talking to lay people here on this. I, I, and I'm a lay person when it comes to this. I, I just want to make the point that God created order out of chaos through this water and creation so that you could be here. So that you could be, so that I can be, <laughs> so that our world can have life. Just a few chapters later, the world is complete chaos again. People have rebelled against God. They've fallen into darkness except for one righteous family, Noah. Noah and his family. And so God has a couple of choices. Before you come down too hard on, gee, this seems so wrathful, this seems so just vicious. Why would God destroy all of his creation like this and take all of this life? God had another option, which was don't recreate life. I tried it, it didn't work, it's over, that's it. We're, we're not going to bring any more human life back. I'll just hang out with the animals and that'll be that. And sometimes maybe you feel that way about your dog. I've had it with people. I'm just going to hang out with my dog or my cat or my gerbil or whatever it is, and that's it. God could have done that. But thank God, for your sake and for my sake, because we wouldn't be here, if by God's mercy, not just New Testament mercy, Old Testament mercy, God chose to recreate through the one righteous family that was left. We're probably also deeply underestimating just how dark and evil and violent and murderous the world was. Into that world, God notices and God cares, and it breaks his heart. And so he says, I'm going to try again. I'm going to recreate. He floods the earth. Out of the waters of death, he creates and recreates a whole new human race. Out of death comes life through the water. Catching the pattern, turn the page a little deeper into Genesis, or I'm sorry, into Exodus, the next book in the Old Testament. Here comes Moses, the great hero of the central story of the Old Testament. When he's born, 
His mother put the baby Moses in a basket and laid it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile River. She knew she couldn't keep him. She had to give him up for adoption. It was the loving thing to do. So she put her newborn baby in this basket because the Pharaoh, threatened by the rise of the Israeli slaves who were living in Egypt at the time and worried that they would take over Egypt, decided to have this massacre, that he would murder all of the firstborn Hebrew sons of Hebrew families, of the slave families, so that they couldn't reproduce so much. And Moses fit the demographic. Out of death, his mother puts him in the water, and God saves his life. Through the water, God takes our death and brings us life, takes our chaos and brings us life, takes our rebellion and recreates and gives us life. 40 years uh, later, 80 years later, Moses leads God's people. Did you know Moses was 80 when he did this? Charlton Heston doesn't look 80, but Moses was. He takes them to the banks of the Red Sea and God does a miracle. Moses leads his people across the Red Sea. The people of Israel walk through the middle of the sea on dry ground. Well, think of this, walls of water on each side. The central story of the Old Testament from freedom to, uh, from slavery to freedom, from death to life, through the water. You think it's just some sort of coincidence that God chooses water for baptism? This element when already in just the first book and a half of the Old Testament, there's this pattern that's almost impossible to miss, that God takes chaos and death and destruction and brings life out of it through water. It's not the water. Just like it's not the water of baptism. Some Christians have the wrong view of what baptism is. They treat the water almost like it's magic. Like it's some sort of super spiritual special water. The thing that makes that water super spiritual and special is God promises to be in it. He promises to meet you at the waters of baptism. In a way that he doesn't promise to meet you in the glass of water that you have for breakfast. He's here, and that's what makes it holy, set apart by God. He promises, I'm here in this water. I will meet you through this water. You know, like I do. Like I did from the very beginning of creation. Like I did in recreating the human race through Noah and his family. Like I did by saving Moses' life when he was a baby. Like I did for my people as they were being chased by the Pharaoh's army, the Egyptian army. So I parted the sea to bring them from death, certain death to new life and freedom from slavery into a promised land. Only they wandered for 40 years and then they got to the banks of more water. And this time it's the Jordan River. The Jordan River where Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist. Where great crowds came out to be baptized by John when he told them to change the way they think and start seeing the world the way it is instead of the way the world defines it. People left their camp to cross the Jordan and the priests who were carrying the Ark of the Covenant, which is where God resided in Old Testament times, even before Indiana Jones found it, they went ahead of them. This is the coolest story. When we get there, you're going to love it. I don't want to give all the best parts away, but I'm going to give this part away. So God ordered the priests who were holding the Ark of the Covenant where he resided to step into the Jordan River because the people of God, there's, there's like a million of them. And Joshua's there, Moses has died, and Joshua's the one God calls now to lead them finally into the promised land. They've been wandering for 40 years since the Red Sea. And he's on the banks of the, of the Jordan River where Jesus will be baptized centuries later. 
and he's there and they can't get into the promised land. The water, the river is in between them and the life that God had promised, the freedom that God had promised. What God, you're gonna lead us all this way through the Red Sea, wandering for 40 years to this point and then we're gonna die? And so God said, tell the priests who are carrying the Ark of the Covenant to step into the Jordan River, and this is the cool part, and every step they took carrying the, the Ark of the Covenant, the water receded and pushed back and pushed back and pushed back. It's so cool. <laughs> and then all the people finally moved across the river from death to life, to the freedom of a new life in a promised land. And you thought the Bible was boring. There's this incredible pattern. There's this incredible move of God where he brings things to life, gives us new beginnings, new starts. This is where the language being born again comes from. We're given a whole new life. And it starts with changing the way we think, repenting, turning to God. Seek the Lord while he may be found, Isaiah says. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts and turn back to God instead. So we have this bond with God through water from death to life to new beginnings. First Peter puts it this way. That's the name of the book of the Bible. It's Peter writing it. Peter's Jesus' right-hand man. And he says this about baptism. Right before this, the verses before this, and you can look that up, you can see that he's picking up on the pattern of the Old Testament that God through water saved his people. The central story of the Old Testament. And there are all these other examples of it throughout the Old Testament. And now Peter says, and now that water, I want you to know, is a picture of, let's read that word together if you can see it. What is it? Baptism. So you thought the preacher was maybe stretching it a little bit. Oh, the waters of creation, the waters of Noah, the waters of Moses, the Red Sea, the Jordan River, Isaiah's prophecy. That's not really about baptism. That's just about other kinds of what? No. The Bible says it's about baptism. And here, a gentle nudge. I said earlier, sometimes people treat baptism like it's an insurance policy for heaven, like it's magic water, like you don't need to believe anything. You just get up there and you get yourself saved. It's not what it is. It's a transformation. It's the beginning of a new journey. It's death and resurrection. It's a whole new life. But on the other hand, there are other significant pockets of Christianity, and maybe you grew up in one of these traditions. That's fine. Nothing but respect for that. But wouldn't you like to know what the Bible says about baptism instead of what you were taught? Instead of what people said it said? Like they say, well, you have to reach an age of accountability before you're baptized. Do you know what phrase doesn't show up anywhere in the Bible? Age of accountability. Or anything even hinting of an age of accountability before you're baptized. That is human religious tradition. If it's your human religious tradition, fine. You can embrace it or not. It's not gonna like trip you up forever. I'm just telling you it might preclude you from experiencing the fullness of this gift. You say, yeah, that baptism doesn't save us. Yeah, it does. It's not the water that does this. It's not the ritual that does this. That's not what Peter is saying, but he is saying, Baptism, which now saves you because God's in it. The Savior is in it. You're joined to the death and resurrection of Jesus in this water. 
Romans 6 puts it this way. If you don't want to believe Peter, believe Paul, who writes this letter to the Roman church. He says, for we have, we died. We died and we're buried with Christ by everybody. There's that word again. Up out of the water, like Jesus, up out of the water and the heavens opened. And since we've been united with him by baptism in his death, we will also be raised to life as he was. I'm not here to fight. What is it about Christians that whenever anybody brings up baptism, we want to fight? How old do you have to be? When should you do it? How should you do it? What, which way do you do it? Full immersion or sprinkle? Which one did Jesus do? Which one the King James? How does it all come out? Put your swords away. And hear the promise of God's word. Through baptism, you are joined to Jesus Christ. And not just in some kind of obscure, distant way. You're joined to the Jesus who showed up and even though he didn't need a baptism of repentance, submitted himself to it, humbled himself to it. And so when you're baptized, you're joined to him. The same kind of water, the same kind of sacrament, the same kind of deal. And you say, well, it's different because now it's after Jesus lived, died, and rose from the dead. You're right. And so after that, Paul says, that's what you're joined to in baptism now. John's baptism was a baptism of repentance, but this is a baptism that joins you to Jesus. Cool. John said, I baptize you with water, a baptism of repentance, but the one who's coming who will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And his name is Jesus. And he'll meet you up there or whatever campus you might be at, wherever the water is. This is the power of God taking us through the water from death to the resurrection of a new life and a new beginning. And man, our, our world needs it. And maybe you do, just personally, because of what you're up against. Maybe you got a diagnosis that suddenly reminded you just how mortal your life is here, how short it is here, or a loved one did. Or maybe you're still grieving the death of a loved one. Or maybe it's got nothing to do with health. Maybe it has to do with something else in your life that just makes you feel like you're being crushed. Like there's no hope. There's no life for you anymore. Repent. Change the way you think. Turn back to God or turn to him for the first time. The God who says, I want to meet you in the waters of baptism in a way that I've set apart. It's holy to meet you in a way that's life-giving where I'll meet you there with my Holy Spirit and with, with the fire of faith through the waters of baptism from death a new life. I watched with great interest, as I'm sure a lot of you did on Monday night, as Damar Hamlin um, suffered a cardiac arrest, a Buffalo Bills safety, suffered a cardiac arrest during the Monday night football game against the Cincinnati Bengals. And so they're on this football field in Cincinnati, Ohio, surrounded by tens of thousands of football fans, most of them wearing colors for a team that wanted to destroy his team. Suddenly everything changed. How many of you heard of DeMar Hamlin two weeks ago? Raise your hand. You know who he was. Serious football fans. There's like nine of you. How many of you know the name DeMar Hamlin now? Just raise your hand. Just want to get it. Okay. That's what I thought. If you don't know who he is, he's this dude who puts the cross of Jesus Christ on his cheeks before every football game, which kind of tells you where he's at spiritually. And if that isn't enough, I found an interview of his from a few weeks ago, maybe a couple of months ago where he was interviewed by a local Buffalo sportscaster. 
and asking him about what really matters to you, Damar. I mean, is it being a starter in the NFL, which he just started to do this year? Is it making the Pro Bowl someday? Maybe getting him a Hall of Fame, winning some Super Bowls, uh, leading the team in tackles, which he was doing this year, leading the team in interceptions, be being elite. Is that your ultimate goal in life, making millions and millions of dollars as a professional football player? And Damar said this instead. We just had our prayer, our, our DB prayer we do every Wednesday mm. outside. He was next to me, and I just grabbed his hand a little bit harder just because, you know, you never know when, like, the last day could be that you get in a experience something like this, you know. So I'm just, I'm cherishing it every moment I can. Huh. 24 years old and that kind of depth. I'm here for my teammates. I'm here for my family. I'm here for my church. I'm here for my sisters and brothers in Christ. He was specifically talking about a really good friend of his who's a fellow defensive back on the Bills and talking about it, you heard him, he said how we were praying just, just a little bit ago, right before this interview. And we were holding hands as defensive backs of the Buffalo Bills. Is, is that what you imagine the Bills defense does before a game? Holding hands and praying. And as we're holding hands and praying, Damar says, I squeezed a little tighter to my friend, my teammate who's been dealing with injuries this year. Because you never know when this is all going to be over, he said, Damar. And so you cherish the moments. You cherish the moments. Let him be our teacher, our Bible teacher here just for a moment, because this is straight up biblical. Do you cherish the holy moments that you have? I'm not just talking about the mountaintops where everybody's like, wow, look at you. I'm talking about the ordinary and the mundane. I'm talking about a family dinner. I'm talking about worshiping. Before I got up to preach, I turned around and, and just looked at you. That's, people are like, why do you turn around and look at us while you, before you come up here? I just want to see you. I want to see my family. I want to sing with you and worship God with you. And I'm not going to miss it. I'd encourage you to look around as we do our closing song a little bit later. Soak it up. We'll miss this someday. You, you, you'll, you'll, you'll miss the, the, the times that you have with the loved ones that you're doing life with. Cherish them. Squeeze a little tighter. Soak them in. Don't spend your whole life breathing out. Breathe in once in a while. Soak up the moment. Don't just reduce your life to a calendar of things that you got to do and a checklist and get it all done. At what point are you going to soak it up? At what point are you going to breathe it in? At what point are you going to cherish it? These moments that God provides for you that are holy. In our reading for this next week, one of the first stories you'll read is the story about Jesus and his disciples getting on a boat on the Sea of Galilee, on the water, death, life, new beginnings. And while they're there, a huge storm comes up. Jesus is sleeping because he's cool like that. doesn't bother him at all. The disciples, many of whom are professional fishermen and know what kind of storm this is, are convinced they're going to die. Never seen anything like this before. And the storm's hitting, and they wake Jesus up. And to paraphrase what Jesus says, he says, where's your faith? And then he gives the storm the peace sign, and immediately it calms down. That's not exactly the way it happened, but generally speaking, that's it. That's the point of it. Out of certain death on the water, God brings life and new beginnings. In the face of death, did you see what happened? And you don't even have to be a football fan. I, I know a lot of you were watching. I know a lot of you weren't. 
But of the 20 most watched television shows in America in the last year, 16 of them were live NFL games. The difference between what we saw Monday night, those of you who were watching, or what you saw later on the news, is this is a real human being. The guys on CSI, the 28 different versions of it, or NCIS, or Chicago Fire, Chicago Police, or Chicago Lawyers, or Chicago Pastors, or Chicago Teachers, or whatever, <laughs> they got them all now, right? Those stories are made up. They're really good, they're well done most of the time, well written, entertaining, suspenseful, but they're fake. This wasn't fake. This man, this man of faith, this Jesus guy who went down on the carpet in Cincinnati on this field, and did, you've seen, you've heard, you've seen the news what happened next. His, his teammates see him. And then we see his teammates crying. Football players don't know what to do. And it's not just people wearing the Buffalo Bills colors. It's Cincinnati Bengals players. And then it ripples out into the grandstands. And, and, and you can catch YouTube videos this week of Bengals fans and Bills fans praying together and praying the Lord's Prayer together and, and getting together. Suddenly, the colors that we wear supporting our teams mattered not at all. Because something broke through that's more important. I'm not here to preach against being a football fan or a sports fan. I've got my team colors. I don't wear them this particular season. <laughs> not since we were two and one. <laughs> now we're three and a hundred or something. I don't know. But I love my team and I'll stay loyal to them. And we even have a service here about once a year where we encourage you to show up wearing your favorite team colors. It's fun. But it's a hobby. It's not God. It's not the main thing. And when we make it the main thing, we're going to miss. We're going to miss the new life and the new beginnings and what happened here. Don't miss the point of this story. Because not since 9-11 have I seen our country take a knee and pray together like I did Monday night. And I'm not just talking about Christian broadcasting stations. I'm talking about ABC News. I'm talking about Joe Buck. Joe Buck is telling the world to pray. Troy Aikman, of all people, pray. Because they'd never seen anything like this before. And we're reminded what really matters. What if we lived every day like that? Reminded what really matters. The ripple effect. It went out. And I'm guessing most of you prayed for a guy you didn't even know last week that God would give him life from death through the waters to a new beginning. Take a look. For 10 minutes, medics frantically administering CPR. Hamlin's teammates wiping away tears. The entire Bills team taking a knee on the field. Players uniting, holding hands and praying. With everybody watching, praying, and hoping for the best. I've never seen anything like it. His teammates reacting. Bills quarterback Josh Allen tweeting, please pray for our brother. And his team sharing a montage of support. As an eerie silence fell over the stadium, fans awaited word of Hamlin's condition or even the fate of the game for over 70 minutes before the league announced a critical late-season matchup was postponed. You could see the, the heartbreak on their face. You could see the worry on their face. Uh, they were in 
such real pain and you could see it uh, and you knew that they were not going to be able to play football uh, after having gone through something like this. I've heard the Buffalo Bills organization say that we believe in prayer and maybe this is not the right thing to do but I want it's just on my heart that I want to pray for it is Demar Hamlin right, right, right now. Um, I'm going to do it out loud. I'm going to close my eyes. I'm going to bow my head and I'm just going to pray for him. Um, God, we come to you in these moments that we don't understand, that are hard, uh, because we believe that you're God and coming to you and praying to you um, has impact. We're, we're sad, we're angry, um, and we want answers, but some things are unanswerable. We just want to pray, truly come to you and pray for strength for Damar, for healing for Damar, for comfort for Damar to be with his family, to give them peace. If we didn't believe that prayer didn't work, we wouldn't ask this of you, God. Um, I believe in prayer. We believe in prayer. We lift up DeMar Hamlin's name in your name. Amen. 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 That's a Christian living out the call. Former quarterback Dan Orlovsky, who's this big-time now NFL commentator. That's ESPN. That was ABC News right before that. They don't spend a lot of time on ESPN stopping the program to pray. <laughs> but maybe they should. Maybe you should. And I'm not just talking about praying for Damar Hamlin. Part of our reading this week, Jesus says, ask and it'll be given to you. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will be open. And it looks like that door is opening. This morning, Damar Hamlin posted, I guess, on social media, said, thank you for your prayers, love you all, keep praying for me. It's easy to do. It doesn't take but a minute. But I'm telling you, it's, it's a powerful connecting gift to the God who brings order out of chaos, life out of death, and does it in a pattern in the Bible, oftentimes through water, and wants to meet you in the waters of baptism now. Don't just pray for Damar Hamlin. It doesn't have to be either or, does it? Do we have to say, well, we shouldn't be praying for him, we should be praying for other things. How about both? How about you pray for your family, your friends, your coworkers, your classmates, yourself? Like the Bible says, these are the things to cherish, the things that bond us and knit us together to our Creator. Prayer and reading God's Word and receiving the sacraments. It's not the bread and the wine, Martin Luther says. It's not the water. It's that Jesus promises to meet you in the bread and the wine and the water. That's what makes it holy. That's what the Bible actually says. Don't let it be anything more than that or less than that. Let it be what it is. Water is a thing that God uses regularly to bring life out of death. So pray for one another. Get into God's word. Live for the things that are going to give you life. Let, let the jerseys and the colors you wear be your hobby, not your life. Let your careers and your pursuit of money and those things, let it be your jobs and your vocations, really important, but not your God. Let, let, let anything else take second, even family, let it take second to the God who calls us to bond and connect with him first and foremost. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, the Bible says, then all these other things will be added unto you. When we get that, we change the way we think, which is the biblical definition for repentance. So who gets to come to the waters of baptism? The Ethiopian eunuch got to go. Philip and he had a very short conversation. The Ethiopian eunuch was agnostic at best before that when it came to Jesus. Philip told him about Jesus and a few minutes later, he 
converted. He believed in Jesus, and he was so excited. He says, look, there's some water. Why can't I be baptized? It's in the Bible. So that's all. I know a lot of Christians are like, we just want you to take six months of classes, and then you can qualify for baptism after you face a panel of the elders to make sure you're actually, or you have to read it to a certain age, which isn't in the Bible. And we have a class here, too, because we want you to know what baptism is. But once a year on the baptism of our Lord Sunday, we just say, fonts open, come on up. Even if you haven't taken the class, well, you kind of just did. <laughs> I just taught it. The Ethiopian eunuch says, I got faith and I got water. The Bible says that's all you need. Elsewhere in the book of Acts, which is right after Jesus died and rose from the dead and ascended into heaven. So this is the way we do baptism. Cornelius and the Gentiles, after Peter preaches, one sermon says, can anyone object to all these people, to their being baptized? Lydia, later, Acts chapter 16, gets converted to Jesus Christ, to faith in Jesus. And she, and not just, not just her, but her whole household was baptized. All the kids, the Greek word for household is oikodespotes. And I know this because my name's householder, so it's like the third word I learned in seminary. And it means the whole household, including the babies including the kids. Bring them to the waters of baptism on your faith and hope that one day and pray and teach them the faith so that they can rise up and confirm that faith someday. So as Jesus says yes to them in the waters of baptism when they're young, they can grow up to say yes to Jesus when they grow older. This is the Bible. If Lydia isn't enough, how about the jailer in the same chapter, same experience, his whole household is baptized. So come. All of you who are thirsty for this water of life that brings order out of chaos and life out of death and gives you a new beginning, as maybe you're starting a new beginning spiritually, getting into God's word this year, come and mark it with a baptism. If nobody comes, that's fine. Then we'll just get ready for the next service. But wherever you are, whatever your campus is at, the invitation is here for you. We'll stay up there as long as it takes. I'll stay up there and keep baptizing until my next sermon if I have to, and then I'll have Pastor Ben take over for me. But come. You say, well, I've already been baptized. That's fine. You don't have to come. Or you can come and have that baptism renewed. Those of you who are diehard Lutherans go, that doesn't sound very Lutheran to me. <laughs> Did you know it's in the Lutheran hymnal? The red one, the green one, and the new cranberry, all of them, it's in there. There's a whole liturgy for it. You know why you never knew that? Because most Lutheran pastors are afraid of it. I don't want to touch it. Ah, affirmation of baptism. I'm not sure we want that chaos. I want the chaos. It's in the Bible. There's a whole liturgy for it. So we'll ask you one question. Do you believe in Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord? Like the Ethiopian eunuch, if you have that faith and we got water, don't let anything keep you from it. We'll renew your baptism. Or we'll baptize you for the first time. Come. All you who are thirsty, come to the waters. The Bible also says... What are you waiting for? God, you know, I'm starting to feel like I'm selling insurance. <laughs> this is between you and the Lord. It really is. You just do what the Holy Spirit nudges you to do. You can stay and pray. We're going to sing. Our worship band will be out here in a second. You can sing and go home like normal. It'll be right on time. For the rest of us, we're going to do a little overtime. We're going to stay a little late or a lot late. But come. God is telling you to come, come to the water. What are you waiting for, the Bible says. Get up and be baptized, the Bible says. 
and meet the Jesus who promises to meet you in the water. You know, like God always does. Throughout the beginning of the Old Testament, straight through. Bringing life from death for you. I'm going to go over here. Come and meet me if you want. Come and sing, or stand and sing if you want. Go home if you want. We love you. God loves you even more. Don't ever forget it. Keep reading your Bibles.